0: I've been uh, uh, having a series of message on the journey of God's people from Egypt to Canaan, and uh, I am uh, have made a survey of the Bible before in preaching assignments, uh, which includes what we're doing now several times in the last 20 years. But I probably, this experience of going through this study, uh, I've been Seeing some things that I had not seen before, and so I'm not going near as fast as I thought I would. I find that when I started, I was going to just kind of go through it, maybe in two messages or so, and I'm still stuck. We haven't even gotten to Mount Sinai yet, but I guess as long as I'm enjoying my study, well, you'll just have to do up with the preaching, okay? Uh, but we will be going for a while yet. I'm not sure how long until I get to get over there to Canaan, uh, and in doing this, I, I really am blessed, in my study, in getting a grip on the picture, uh, you know, the the general geographical and history picture of what took place, and uh, I don't mind if you catch that also, and a good way to do that is uh, to be repetitious, and I'm going to do that, and uh, if you get weary of it, uh, don't tell me, because we're going to do it some more anyhow. Uh, but there are five major events on this journey that we're making, the journey that they took from Egypt to Canaan. What are they? Would you like to share them with us? And they take place. the first one takes up, place up, way up here. What's the first the first step out of Egypt? The Passover, And then we move on over through. The Red Sea, and then we go down to the lower part to Mount Sinai. Then we go up, back up through the wilderness, and, and then we're going to do what? This across the River of Jordan. We're going to live in Canaan, right? So the, it's the Passover, the Red Sea—very simple. Passover, the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, back up through Jordan, and into Canaan. That's the five major events from on this journey. Does anyone know where we're at, where we stopped? We had just crossed the Red Sea and did go down through there a little bit. And we hit the, uh, and I'm enjoying this in the study because I'm getting a picture of what happened and when it happened. You know, we know some of these things. We know that when Jesus, or uh, when Moses uh, smote the rock, what happened? Water gushed out, but where did it happen, and when did it happen in this journey? And so we can kind of place these events in their proper place. Now today, we'd like to review some of this, and then we're going to preach a little bit about the battle or the warfare with Amalek, and that was a a new thought to me as I studied that, but I was gripped with the fact that these people weren't out of Egypt very long, until they were at warfare with Amalek. Who's Amalek? And you know, the Bible says these things were written unto us for an for us to learn from. And so we need to see what happened to them, and learn from that to equip us to make the journey. And so can we expect that after we are through, we experience the Passover, we go through the Red Sea, uh, the Passover, of course, why is it called the Passover? You know, we use that word, and we've used it for years. What does it mean? Why does he call it the Passover? The Passover took place in Egypt, and uh, it was there where they applied the blood of the lamb, and it went into a, a home there, into their homes, and they shared, I guess they ate, of the, of the lamb that was slain, and the blood was applied. Why do they call it the Passover? Yes, when we apply the blood... We should say when they applied the blood, then the death angel, God's judgment passed over them. And there are people that know about this but haven't ever tasted of it. They went to church many years and know about all these things. But until we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, then God's death angel will not pass over us. We're doomed. That's why it's called the Passover. By the way, uh, there is a song called, When I See the Blood, I Will Pass Over You. Let's sing one verse of that, can we? You're giving me lots of time this morning so we can sing a verse of that song. Can someone turn to it and, uh, and we'll sing one verse of, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then after we, we, uh, pass, we, we experience the Passover, we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our life, then where do we go? Through the Red Sea. And the Bible says as they went through there, they were baptized unto Moses. It speaks about baptism. Let's sing that verse before we forget it. 798. 798, okay, one verse. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Without that, we are under God's judgment. We're one or the other. Thank you. Then after the Passover, we go through the Red Sea. According to Corinthians, it's a type of baptism. Uh, these people, as they were put under the blood, came out of the blood, they went through the Red Sea. And you know, that experience is the next step in the journey to, uh, Can- to Canaan. Uh, when we see that we've been saved, then we accept water baptism as a believer. The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, that baptism is a covenant that we make. And we're saying, God, I'm leaving Egypt. This is what we do when we're water baptized as a believer. Uh, And our forefathers in the 1500s gave their lives to be baptized. Why? To them it was important that they make that covenant with God, that after the blood is applied, they make a covenant with God that they're leaving Egypt, The land of Egypt under Pharaoh, and they're to go through the Red Sea and make a covenant that they're leaving Egypt behind. It's a a formal process. It's also an experience. And there is where then Pharaoh's power was broken. Chapter 15, we have the Song of Deliverance. After they went through the Red Sea, they sang the Song of Deliverance. They were now out of Egypt. Can a man be saved in Egypt? Yes, you don't have to do nothing to get saved except receive Jesus Christ that's all if you smoke you, 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 can, you can still get saved if you drink you can still get saved if you, if, you, if you swear you can still get saved did you know that? that's wonderful but can you keep on doing that and be saved? no, you leave Egypt you leave Egypt you know there's those teachings and people that say well I'm saved But you know, when you get saved, the next step is leaving Egypt behind, right? You don't stay there. And I would insist on that you cannot stay in Egypt and remain saved. You know, they sang the song of deliverance after the Red Sea, after they were out of Egypt. We try to sing it in Egypt, but deliverance is being delivered out of Egypt. Then the third step, of course, is through the, red, the second step is through the Red Sea, and we, are, we were down in here somewhere, we were traveling down towards Mount Sinai, that's where we're headed, we're not quite there yet. And of course then we had uh, the happening of the uh, chapter 16, uh, in Exodus we have the uh, occasion of the manna and the quail, and then in chapter 17 is where we're going to look at today, the first part of that, which we mentioned in our last message, is where, uh, in verse 6, Moses smote the rock because the people were thirsty, and they were saying, give us water that we may drink. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? You know, we might as well have stayed there. We're thirsty. We're hungry. It's a hard journey. Did you know that it's wrong to tell people that if you're a Christian, everything will be wonderful? Well, now everything is wonderful, and our guilt is removed, and we're on our way to glory. But the Bible tells us that it's a road filled with adversity, things that were not like we had before. It's a road of warfare, a road of peddling on. And these people were discouraged. They said, Moses, we're thirsty, we're hungry. So he gave them water. Now we touched on that water a little bit that we have in the first part of chapter 17, I think the last time we spoke on this uh, experience, uh, how much water, Now remember there was between one and two million people there, and uh, we talked about that, and the pictures that we uh, look at in the children's book have Moses standing here and hitting the rock, and a little stream about this big coming out of there, and people standing in line for water. You think that's how it was? you think that's how it was? Why don't you think that's how it was? Why don't you think it was that way? I had to figure it out. How long did it would take? A couple of years for, for all the people to get a drink if they would have so many going through there. Well, how did we know it wasn't that way? See, you people didn't pay attention. See, that, it must have been overtime. My wife says when you go overtime, they forget everything they heard. I don't believe that's quite that's true, but some of it. So maybe i preach this after 1130. So I'm going to quit doing that. But how do we know that it wasn't that way? Yes, here it says it. Moses played the rock in the wilderness, and he gave them drinks as out of the great depth. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down right rivers. Psalm 78. So when he struck that rock, I don't know where, how Moses got out of the way, But it says when he struck that rock, it says that he brought streams out of the rock and rivers flowed. Can you imagine that? Water everywhere. And you know, in Corinthians it says that Jesus was that rock. You know, when we enter the journey towards Canaan, it's not always, I hate to make this a hard road, but it's not always that easy. But did you know that the grace of God is that rock? And it flows like rivers. And that's his grace. It's his, it's his power for us to live. How does it say in Acts 1.8? But they shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon them. And they shall be witnesses as they travel. You know, there's going to be tremendous power and grace to make this journey. Did you know it? How many of you get discouraged? I talked to one brother a couple of weeks ago. I won't say his name, but he challenges me. I talked about you know, how hard it is sometimes to go on. He says, well, he, he thinks it's wonderful. I thought, well, maybe I'm not applying that grace to my life. That, that grace, that, that water that flows from the rock is Jesus. His grace. And it, It's out there in the wilderness, and he pours it out by rivers. And we say, well, we can't hardly make it the way we should be no. so I'm going to try to I'm going to try to pick up a little bit of that other attitude about the Christian journey you know we have tremendous power and awesome grace exceedingly abundantly above that we're able to even think is pour out in our lives and we can march this march we can make this journey marching in victory right Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, neither height nor depth, nor any other creature. You know, it's victory, right? I'm going to try to preach more that way, and not just preach it, but live it. They say, you can see better than here. and so maybe I ought to live it. Well, anyhow, the water. And then in... Uh, then the next step down here, right down close to Mount Sinai, is called a place called Rephidim. And that's where we have, uh, and this is too, you know, a message that could be negative. We have Amalek attacking them. And we read that, uh, Brother Leon read that. They were down here almost at Mount Sinai. There's a little place there called Rephidim. And there is where Amalek attacked them. We're going to talk about who Amalek is. We're going to talk about uh, what Amalek wants to do. We're going to talk about the tools that he uses. And we're going to talk about what we can do to overcome Amalek. Who is Amalek? We probably won't get any further in this. We, we won't get to Mount Sinai today. Uh, but we will talk about Amalek just before they got to, well, way to Mount Sinai. Amalek attacked them. Who is Amalek? Does anyone know? For real. He was a man. He had a group of people with him. And they're called the Amalekites. Amalek was the leader of them. Does anyone know what his family tree is? Who was he? Yes. He was a descendant of Esau. Uh, now, uh, he's probably, uh, maybe his Esau might have been his great-great-great-grandfather or something like that, but he was a descendant of Esau. He was a, he, there was a tribe of them, and they, they, they didn't really live any place. They were nomads. You know what a nomad is? They just travel here and there and hither and thunder and so on. Thunder, hither, and thunder. hither, and thither. I guess. Would that be better? I guess but they were nomads. They were descendants of Esau. Now the Bible says in Romans that God hated Esau. That's strong stuff, isn't it? God hated Esau and loved Jacob. How can he say that? God allowed Esau to be born. Wouldn't it be awful if God would say to me, he hates me. But the Bible says that God hated Esau and He loved Jacob. That's strong stuff, and it's found in Romans. I like to read it. it. It was said unto her, the elder. Uh, yeah, it was said unto her, the elder, and this is of course the mother of uh, Jacob and Esau. The the elder, they were twins. The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Why did God hate Esau? Now, we have, to, we have to get a hold of this to understand this. And the verse before that says, the elder shall serve the younger. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was the secondborn. And before I had two births, I did what I wanted to, It didn't bother me except I tried to respect my parents as good as I could. I tried to respect my church as good as I could. But I just got along pretty good. I didn't, oh, there were times when what I did caused me some grief. There were times when what I did I wished I wouldn't have. But I got along pretty good. I was living by the firstborn, Esau. And God says he hates the firstborn. Now what he's saying, he's saying that I would love to have you have another birth. The birth of Jacob. Jacob was the second birth. And he says, the elder, the firstborn, shall serve the secondborn. Who's Esau? Who's Amalek? A descendant of Esau. Who is it? It's my firstborn nature. It's my firstborn what I was. And I got along just fine. If somebody didn't like me, I'd club them. Well, I thought I could handle them. Sometimes literally. If I didn't like someone, I'd kick them in the face. I did what I wanted to. God hates the firstborn. God wants us to have another birth. He talks about it in John 3.16. Except a man or a woman be born again, he shall in no wise finish it. Enter into the kingdom of heaven. He hates the firstborn. He hates my nature, my own human nature that has been fallen because of what the devil did in Genesis. But he wants us to experience the second birth, which is then Jacob, and that's why he says that. That's why he says it. I, I think that uh, we will find that the elder uh, was, he harassed the second born. Esau harassed Jacob. Remember the story? He harassed him. He laughed at him. He mocked him. He hated him. Did you know the firstborn and the second born don't get along? Did you know that? We're talking about Jacob and Esau. I hope it's not that way in your family. But here, with these twins, the firstborn and the secondborn just don't get along. Now, in uh, going back to uh, Exodus, uh, reading some of these verses here. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 17. Then came Amalek, verse 8, and fought with Israel in Rephidim, which is right down here. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. And I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. And uh, we find uh, Amalek, some of his ways of getting to people who he wants to attack is found in Deuteronomy like to read in Deuteronomy, where is that? Deuteronomy, uh, verse 25, chapter 25, verse 18. This is what Amalek did down here at Repidim. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt. I met thee by the way and smote the hindermost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall not be when the Lord thy God has given thee rest from all thine enemies around about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, and thou shalt not forget it. Amalek was out to stop the journey that God's people were making to Canaan. What does he use? What are his tools, Amalek, to defeat the second-born Jacob? Or Amalek to defeat God's people on their journey. What, how's that, what's Amalek's uh, method of, the, of defeating his people? Does anyone want to try uh, sharing some thoughts about that? What are his tools? We read one of those in Deuteronomy. It says, he came on them when they were weary and feeble, when they was faint and weary, and he feared not God, but he attacked. Them. He came up behind them when they were tired and weary. Amalek attacks us when we're weary. You know, Amalek, now I want you all to get this. Amalek is the firstborn. And he dogs us wherever we go. Wherever we go. We still have him. Did you know that? Amalek is right on our heels. He's every. He's, he's just right, wherever we are, he follows us. Uh, his tools are to try to get us when we're tired. He also uh uses, some of his weapons are, you know, when the terrorists came over here, uh, what were their weapons in New York City? You're not at all following, but you'll catch up. Don't fall asleep in the meantime. Uh, what were the weapons that they used, uh, the terrorists used in New York City to destroy the Twin Towers? Surprise? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I thought of that one. Our own planes were used to destroy our people. Amalek uses. And those planes were really designed for something good. But when Amalek got a hold of them, they became, they became destructive. Now, Amalek is the firstborn. And you know, when I, when I, before I had my second birth, I didn't struggle like I do now, and I don't like to keep saying that. I'm not. I'm enjoying life, and I'm not. I'm not almost at the end of the rope. I don't think I still got some tread left. But you know, there's a warfare between Amalek and God's people, the firstborn and the secondborn, and Amalek is those things that are designed that are designed uh, for us to be a blessing, and Amalek took those. The terrorists took those planes that were designed to be a blessing. And use them for destruction. Uh, I'm going to just throw a few practical thoughts in so you can catch up here. You know, in us is a drive. Lots of drives. And when, 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 okay, I don't know which ones to use. I have to use some, I guess, that are practical for me. Maybe you can apply some to your own. But God says that we should do all things heartily. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord. What does that mean? Come on, we're getting practical now. What does that mean? What well, it means I get up tomorrow morning and I go out to the furniture shop. Oh, my. oh. I'm going home and having coffee. That's what it means, right? Then comes around lunchtime, I come stubborn, stubborn, stumbling back and stuff for stumbling. I come stumbling back from the shop about eleven o'clock and say, oh, this is ah. boy. I'm going home for lunch. So I have lunch and I take my dinner nap, about one o'clock and go down. Oh my. Is there any mountain dew in the fridge? Annie? <laughs> What does it mean to do all things heartily as unto the Lord? Cheerful, willingly, willingly do it with an anst, and that's a Dutch word too. You can guess what it means. To do it with an anst means you get at it, and you mean it, and you do it. And you know, God has placed those kind of drives into us. But when Amalek comes along, what does he do? He takes that, that, that thing that was made to be a blessing to us, he uses it for weapons to destroy us. You get it? You follow that? And so all I ever want to do is work. I get up in the morning, I work from morning to night, and I don't get done, so I work late and get up early. It sounds like home, doesn't it? But Amalek, when Amalek takes those drives that God has placed in our lives, he wants to use them to become destructive to us. I could name a whole list of them. You know, some of us like to do things just right. I'm not one of those. So I'm going to pick on some of you. You know, look at my desk. you understand. But, but, you know, some of us, you know, want to do things just right. Yeah, you know, that's good. God wants us to do things just right. But when Amalek comes on the scene, what does he do? He makes that a weapon of destruction. And we criticize people and say, can't you do any better than that? Can't you do any better than that? We do it this way. See, he wants to use those drives and those inner things that he has placed in our lives. And Amalek comes along. He sneaks up on us. He wants to make, use them for weapons of destruction. You understand that? I could say a whole lot more in an, in an audience like this. not—you know We don't talk about all those things. But there's things in marriage that are wonderful. And Amalek comes in and just make, makes it a destructive force in our, in our uh, uh, society. He wants to destroy people with the things that God has placed in us to be good and wonderful. You get it? You get it? Are you following? Hamalek is the firstborn. And when he comes in, when the secondborn comes in, we have a warfare. A warfare. You know, I don't hardly know where to stop at this. It goes on and on. Whatever our drives, whatever our bill is, whatever we're doing, Hamalek wants to come in and make him destructive instead of a blessing. He wants to destroy it instead of making it a blessing. Three little peaks from the wolf's point of view. So there was a teacher and author thought that maybe children would be fascinated by such a revision. He was right. His book was entitled "The True Story of the Three Little Pigs." This is in the wolf's view, okay? So they—I guess it's true. Have anybody read that little story yet? The wolf's view of the three little pigs. I, I assume it, the book's out because it said they have several printings of it now. His book. The true story of the three little pigs uh, from the Wolf's View quickly went through several printings and made the list of best-selling children's books. In the story, the wolf claims he wasn't intent on having pork for dinner, but was tricked by three selfish pigs, and he was just out to buy a cup of sugar for his grandma's birthday cake. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, that's a fable anyhow. It's all just a story. But you really believe the wolf really wasn't out to eat, have a pork dinner. He was going to bar a bowl of a cup of sugar for his wife's, or his wife, he wasn't married, for his grandmother's birthday cake. Would you believe that? But see, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He twists twists that thing around and makes it sound pretty good. There's some more in here, I didn't read it all. He was sneezing, not huffing and puffing, when the straw house just happened to collapse. He had a big sneeze. You know, he wasn't trying to blow that house down. He, was just, he just had a sneeze and the house collapsed. He wasn't trying to blow the house down at all. See, that's the wolf's view. Now, Amalek works exactly the same way. He tells you know, Amalek tells us when I do stuff that we think nobody knows or few people know, well, you know, you can't help it. You get angry. You know, it's just the way you are, you know. You really can't help it how you think about some of these things. But oh, when the brother does it, you shoot him down. Right? He twists those things around. And we excuse things in ourselves that we would never excuse in our brothers and sisters. Am I getting too practical? Amalek. Amalek is in a warfare. He's going to stop us, if he can, on our journey to Canaan. That was his intent, his tools, his tools. He comes when we're weary. When someone opposes us, we have a right to lash out. He knows how to use his equipment, but it's out there to destroy us. And he uses the very things that God has given us for blessing. Did you catch that message, or did, you, did I all go down the tube? <laughs> how the drives that God has placed in his people all of those, I, I could go on and on. How I used those to make them planes of destruction that were meant to be a blessing. How many of you are struggling with amalek? I did. I did. I did. This morning, My wife said, what's that glass laying on the floor about? It was right beside my study there. I said, no oh, glass broke. and uh, I could figure out what it was. Then suddenly I saw it was a shattered CD. You all know what CDs are? It's not Christina. <laughs> Wasn't a shattered Christina. It was a CD is something you can use in computers or other things. And I got a CD that tells you free, you can hook up to the internet, which I don't believe is good for us. I put it on my desk. I don't know why. And last night I just saw that thing in there and I just went and I just shattered it. You know what I mean? You know, Joseph. In the house of Potiphar. She was trying to entice him. He should have sat down and reasoned with her, shouldn't he? You know, they destroyed Amalek. The first weapon that they used to destroy him was the rod of God. Now, I don't know what the rod of God means or what just exactly. It was the same rod that uh, Moses had used at other occasions. But they went up on the hill and held up the rod of God. And when when Moses was in Potiphar's house and she came to try to reach him through Amalek, hope you understand my speaking. It sounds better to do it that way. He came to him through the means of Amalek in Joseph's life and tried to entice him. He he, he, he probably should have said, Well, Potiphar, sit down here. I want to tell you just how it is. He said, You know, he probably quoted a couple of Bible verses and should have, but no. What did he do? He says, I cannot do such great a sin because of my master and because of my God. And he ran! He ran. Don't mess with it. Amalek's too big for us. Just run. Now we think maybe we don't ever need to run. But I think we do. I think we need to take the rod of God and the word of God and we need to deal with Amalek, don't you? With the rod of God. Not our own strength. The rod of God. We overcome Amalek. Now it was a long, hard battle. You know, they tell us, the terrorists, The the terrorists are different than any other warfare they've ever experienced. They don't know right where they're at. They don't know right where to strike. They're hit here and they're hit there. They're scattered here and there in our own country. I talked to Bill Muller, who was here last Sunday, for who were here. When I called him to tell him to come here, I said, well, how are you getting along with the terrorists? He said, well, we had two up the road here, neighbors. They worked on a chicken farm. You know, they just—they're like Abilick. You know, they're not—you can't shoot them down. You don't see them out there. They just sneak around and try to get us. Thoughts, criticism, lash it out, anger—that stuff that is in us. What's wrong with anger? Does anger have any room in our lives? Well, uh, they say that. I don't know how to how they say this, but. How many of you ever lost your temper? I guess that's being angry. I don't know, is it? Is that the same thing, losing your temper and getting angry? Anybody ever lose their temper? I don't know what that means. You lose your temper. But they say that in steel, there's that stuff they call temper. And it's what keeps the steel strong. And so God has given us A backbone. And we should probably sometimes say that is wrong. And that is wrong. Temper. But anger is Amalek's. Anger belongs to Amalek. You know, I don't know how many of you studied gifts. And I do not even trust to ask you if you know what mine is, because you probably tell me right away. But there's a certain amount of gifts they say that are in the scriptures. You have one, and I have one. You have one. I don't know how much of that is, you know, right on. But they tell me if they would define me, they'd call me the prophet. You know, I just, I, I just like to proclaim truth the way it is. He willing to expose myself, cause you catch the point on truth. You know, we see the truth. Now, when Amalek comes on in my life, as I'm preaching truth, he tells me, "Give it to him, knock him over, shoot him down." Strong! Strong! Can't do this! You go to hell! But you know what the Bible says? That's what Amalek like, wants me to do. The Bible says, speaking the truth, we care and we weep and we hurt and yet stand for truth. But Amalek, Amalek is a nasty feller, and he's just all around us. He's just watching his his opportunities. So remember next time that you're ready to shoot off or shoot down or whatever it may be or criticize or say this is the best way to do it or, or shoot him down with some truth. Or Remember, don't give Amalek any room in your life. Hold up the rod of God. Now, they fought all day, the Bible says, till the sun went down. And they even had two men holding up Moses' arms. And as soon as they dropped their arm, Amalek prevailed. But as they kept raising Moses' arms to the heavens, then God's people prevailed. I don't know what that means either. Except I know the fight is going to be long and hard, according to the Scripture. Now, we have a glorious promise. I, I like this. It's only 25 after, and I'm done. I mean, almost. <laughs> but we have a glorious promise, and so now we have to turn to Yeah, maybe I should turn to it. Well, in Deuteronomy, I read that. Uh, in Deuteronomy 25, what's going to happen with Abilak? Are we going to have to live with him forever? What's going to happen with Abilak, Henry? Well, I shouldn't say that. Oh Mary says, don't do that. They don't know what to say. So, what's going to happen with Amalek? Sorry. Okay, forgive me. What's going to happen with Amalek? I love it. I'm excited. What's going to happen with Amalek? Okay, the Bible says, uh, in verse 19, Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God has given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, and thou shalt not forget it. Amalek is going to be blotted out. You know, if if I would be allowed to, and I'm not, uh, when I uh, preach out of Revelations 22, uh, the last two chapters of Revelations and the first two chapters of Genesis, there's no Amalek. I love that. There's no Amalek, there's no devil in the last two chapters of Revelation or in the first two chapters of Genesis. Uh, Revelation is a restoration of Genesis, the first two chapters. And if I were allowed to, as I would read uh, Revelations chapter 4, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, uh, neither shall there be any more pain, And and if I were allowed to add to the scripture, I would put it and there will be no more Amalek. That's wonderful. But in the meantime, we have a warfare. That's going to go on. One scripture says from generation to generation to generation. We'll have to deal with him." But remember, the rod of God will overcome him. Greater is he How does that say? Greater is he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. The rod of God means strong measures with Amalek. Will you do it? Deal with him and overcome him by the grace of God. Let's kneel in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You that on our journey to Canaan, You're teaching us some of the things that will be encountered, and we thank You You also teach us how to successfully run the journey, run the race. We thank You that Amalek can be overcome. We thank You that the secondborn can rule over him. We thank you, O God, give us grace and power and courage and strength and hold each other's arms up as we battle with Amalek. We thank you for the victories. We thank you for the power. We pray, Father, that you would bless this congregation this morning, each one here. May we not try to deal with Amalek without the Passover and the Red Sea. We thank you. We pray that you would be with us now, continue to direct us as a church, as a people, as all those that attend here. We want to honor you. We want to bless you. We want to grab a hold of the victory that you have available for your people. In Jesus' name.